Good morning and welcome along to The Home Show with me, Sinead Ryan. On the show this morning, we're going futuristic news talks. Tech correspondent Jess Kelly joins me to chat about what kind of smart gadgets and technology we can expect to have in our kitchens in the coming years. We'll be getting you inspired to embrace the summer season with recommendations on creative ways to display flowers. What's your favourite building or public space in Ireland? Well, we'll be talking about the architecture behind a good building and what the judges are looking for from this year's Institute of Architects Public Choice Award. And Denise O'Connor of Optimised Design will be in to talk about redesigning or designing a staircase. Now, if you'd like to get involved in the show today, I'd love to hear from you. You can text us here at 53106 for 30 cent. You can email us at any stage during the week at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. And you'll find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. And remember, you can listen live or listen back to the show and all of our podcasts, the full range of greatest hits up there in the News Talk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, those of a certain vintage, and I'm including myself here, folks, will remember a programme that was on the telly, a British telly, um, years and years ago called Through the Keyhole. It was hosted by uh, Sir David Frost, and Lloyd Grossman and then, yes, he of the kind of uh, pasta sauces fame uh, and a host of other people who's very, very popular and celebs had their homes and bookshelves and kitchens poked through by a panel who tried to guess who owned the house. So that the tagline on it was always who lives in a house like this. Well, of course, we ask the same question every week here in the Home Show uh, and one of our guests later on uh, is going to be talking about the types of homes uh, that we have that do and don't have staircases. Uh, And I want to know really specifically uh, when it comes to that. I have endless stairs. I have three floors of them and I couldn't imagine living in a bungalow. To me, the bedroom beside the kitchen, beside the loo is just a layout that makes me uncomfortable. It makes me think of holiday homes, actually, rather than homes to live in. But people who have bungalows and were brought up in bungalows absolutely love them and can't think of uh, living in any other way. So here's my question today. What kind of a house do you think is best suited for modern living? Is it open plan bungalows or is it houses with stairs where everything is differentiated out and all of the different areas uh, are clear uh, where people can go? Well, I would love to hear your view on that. We'll be talking about all things stairs later on today. But for now, you are very welcome along to The Home Show. Now, you might think your house is already pretty high tech, but we thought we'd bring in the expert to chat about what kind of technology in the future awaits us in the kitchen. Jess Kelly is News Talk's tech correspondent, and she's been looking into some of the advancements that are in the works when it comes to smarter culinary gadgets. How are you? I'm good. Nice How are you? to have you here. Thank you. I'm a little bit nervous. I'll be honest with you. This isn't my bag of fish. I love cooking and uh-huh. I love being in the kitchen and it really is the heart of the home. I don't know that having a ton more tech gadgets would make it a more restful experience. Do you cook a lot? No, you see, I'm the exact opposite oh, in that you? I can't butter bread, uh, <laughs> but I can wire up your home and I can get every gadget working. So okay. it, like we're two sides of, of uh, the same coin, which is good, right? Okay. But the interesting thing, uh, and you mentioned there like a more restful and a more enjoyable experience. Just having the music on. I will have the Alexa for that. Having yeah. a little thing playing, you know, or news talk in the background and kind of kneading and pouring out things and measuring things. I don't know that I want my fridge speaking at me while I'm doing it. It's not going to get in your way, right? And this is the thing that we need to 
fully understand because I remember years ago here on News Talk talking about smart assistants. So whether that was Siri or Alexa or the Google Home and people kind of bristled going, oh, I don't, I can't ever imagine myself talking to a gadget and I can't ever imagine myself. It's going to be following me around the kitchen looking at what I'm doing, collecting for big data. And now if, and they kind of are, but also if you look at the stats, like people in Ireland are using this technology. But what's interesting, particularly when it comes to the kitchen, is that it's, it's not going to be invasive. It's going to help you be healthier. It's going to help you cut down on waste and it's going to become a more, uh, I suppose, practical space in terms of communication and so on. OK, so so they're kind of assistants that aren't going to start telling you you're doing everything wrong. Or no, now, look, that that could come down. Let's let's talk about the fridge, right? Okay, let's start right. with the fridge because, because they're already pretty smart. Some of them, they're very smart, and they're going to get smarter. So, if you haven't upgraded your fridge in a little while, you may not know about some of the advancements that exist. But uh, a lot of the big companies like Whirlpool or Samsung have invested heavily in their fridge technology. So not only will it keep your food cool, which is obviously the number one job of it, uh, a lot of them now have Wi-Fi enabled screens on the front. They have cameras inside and they have the ability to help you make smarter choices when it comes to your food. So in some instances now, when you do your weekly shop and you unpack it and you put it into the fridge, Mm -hmm. your fridge will take a photo of the contents of your fridge and okay. it'll know, okay, well, Sinead did her shop, her food shop on a Sunday. And this is how the fridge looks on a Sunday. And then as the week goes by, maybe you get a notification saying, you're actually running low on milk there, Sinead. Oh, right. Run into the okay. shop there and pick some up on the way. <laughs> then maybe we're getting to Friday evening and everyone's That does sound tired. handy. It is very handy. <laughs> okay. But it gets better again, right? Yeah. So you're on Friday evening, you're home from a long week, don't fancy cooking, don't fancy going to the shop, don't want to get a takeaway. You don't know if you have the ingredients to make a meal. This is where the fridge comes into its own. The fridge will tell you, okay, well, you have eggs, you have ham, you have milk, you have cheese. Why not make an omelette? And then you can go and you can take out your ingredients and then on your fridge, you can type in, how do you make an omelette? Because if you're an idiot like me, you don't know how to make an omelette. So the fridge, the beautiful display on the fridge will teach you how to make an omelette. Right. And so you're cutting down on food waste. You're not throwing out the ingredients that were kind of left over because you're utilising them. You don't have to spend extra money because you're fully using what you have. And then you can get a hand by hand guide on how to do it. Right. Okay. Mm. That does actually sound quite useful. It is very useful. And I think, you know, as we all become more environmentally aware and as we try and, you know, cut down on, as I said, the waste, the food waste is massive. I know it's something we've spoken about a lot. It is massive. It's tons and tons and tons of food that ends up in bins Mm -hmm. every single year because you know, obviously we overbuy and, and maybe the shops oversell, Jess. I mean, you, you get kind of bulk deals on buying kind of, you know, Onions two packs of tomatoes kind of when you're, you're yeah. never going to use them. Um, so having that, I suppose, monitor is a bit net nanny, though, about it. But you see, we're clearly not capable of doing this on our we own. We need to be minded And we're clearly ourselves. not ours doing it on our own. So the technology is there to help us. And I think... You know, we're always hearing how time poor everyone is and how, you know, things are going up in price and we want to get better Mm, value for mm. money and all of that jazz. So if technology can help in that realm, why not embrace it? Okay. now in terms of those fridges you're talking about there, what price point are you looking at for that extra tech? It can get quite expensive. And so it depends on (laughs) what level of tech you want to have. You know, you could have people spending 
in and around three grand to get a pretty notionsy fridge, which right. isn't, you know, it depends on how much of an investment you're willing okay. to make. It is expensive technology. It is emerging technology. And I think as time goes by, they will come down in price. It'll get cheaper. But for the all singing, all dancing jazz hands fridges. Yeah. They're quite expensive. And they literally nearly are jazz hands. Okay, let's move on to cookers now. So this is my area because I do love this whole thing and I love the idea of um, particularly these induction hobs. I don't have one. I have gas. I have an old kind of gas range and I love it because Mm. that's what I'm used to. Um, But I've seen induction hobs at work and they really are instant. Yeah, and you know, this is, it's beneficial from the time poorness that we're all experiencing, but also again, from energy saving. Uh, So to ensure that the devices or the the meals and and the utensils that you're using to cook your meals uh, do the job as efficiently as possible, Mm. the technology is there to identify not only the material of, you know, your pot or your pan or your wok, whatever it is, but also the weight of whatever it is that you're cooking to ensure that you are getting that full saturation of the heat that you need. And there's technology there now that literally stops food burning. Yeah. Because it is constantly checking that that it's at the right temperature and not over overcooking. And, you know... this may sound, people. I know people will be rolling their eyes going, ah, come on, could you not just watch as you're cooking your food? But it happens. People get distracted, people get busy. So to have the technology there that can, again, engage and help is really beneficial. Mm. Another thing that I think busy parents around the country would love is that we now have smart countertops as well. So right. say, for example, you're lifting up the dinner and the phone rings or someone has spilled something and you need to go and sort that out. If you put the plate down on the counter, the counter will identify that it's a plate of hot food and it will keep it at a decent temperature. So your entire counter can be heated. So again, if I put down my coffee cup on the counter, the counter will identify that it's a mug, that there's hot contents in it and it will keep it warm as I'm doing whatever I'm doing so that you're again not wasting product. Mm. So this smart technology, I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, excuse the pun, but I do think that it is beneficial and it is one of those things that if you're building, if you were to build a new house today, Mm. you would have to factor in this type of technology. To future-proof it. To future-proof it, but also, like, why wouldn't you? Like, it's so beneficial. It makes a whole host of sense. I have people on to me every single day of the week giving out that, you know, they've got black spots, broadband black spots or internet black spots Mm. in their home Mm. uh, because they didn't think about where they were putting the router when they moved in 15 years ago. It was Mm. just, let's get some form of connectivity in the house Mm. and they haven't moved it since. I think now, as people are designing their homes, they've realised, particularly post-pandemic or during the pandemic, the importance of connectivity, the benefits yeah, of the Yeah, and they're embedding that now within the overall kind of, this has now become as important as electricity or, mm-hmm. or the core of the home. Uh, one of the things I love in the kitchen are these, um, and I've seen them in action, um, these extraction systems yeah. above the hob, yeah. which take out all of the vape. Now, we all kind of have those hoods and that, that kind of suck up air. Yeah. But these are ones that, that are embedded in the actual hob itself and it's like a downdraft yeah. into it. Yeah. Um, and they're a bit mad but they do a fantastic job. They pull the steam down and out. But it's, it's all about the design and you know being efficient with space and this is another thing that technology can, can help us with as well is you know if you are we're seeing apartments flying up left right and centre you know mm. space is at a premium mm. counter space mm. is at a premium and um, not everybody will have the space 
space for the overhead hob. Yeah. So having that system where it does go into the sides and underneath, it, it does make a whole lot of sense. And I do think we're going to see a lot more of the doubling up of surface spaces as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I mentioned about the screen on the fridge. If you do have the overhead hob, perhaps you could have an overhead screen there. It wouldn't always look like a screen, but you can engage and, and get content on it. So if you're cooking, if you're baking, whatever just it watch is. Watch Netflix while you're doing it. Watch yeah. Netflix or again, if it's you're not going to let your meat, milk boil over. No, it won't. well, the kitchen is going to do everything for us. And I think, you know, if you are someone like you, Sinead, who enjoys the, the cooking and the baking and so on, it's not going to get in your way. It's not going to trip you up. It's going to enable you to do things more efficiently. And the big drivers for this not only are innovation, but, and I can't say it enough, mm. it is that environmental thing. It is trying to cut down on the food waste. If yeah. you look at it, and as you said, it's tons and tons the entire time. But the technology will be able to identify, you know, say if you're storing your strawberries in the plastic container it comes in, it might prompt up saying, well, actually, a better solution would be this and give you an alternative way to store your food to make it more efficient. Now, you mentioned at the beginning that people were reluctant to embrace the kind of talking to a gadget thing in case it came across like they were talking to the walls. Um, but most people now do have a kind of a smart hub mm. or an Alexa or something and they're happy enough to ch- chat away or at least, you know, ask it about the weather or whatever. When it comes to integrating all of these smart appliances mm. with voice technology, I presume that... What's happening or going to happen is that that'll all become like one system. Will we end up saying, do I have enough eggs or can you turn on? Like I saw this tap um, yeah. mowing. You you put in this tap and then you say, Alexa, ask Moen to turn on the tap. Yeah. Or, hey, Google, ask Moen to dispense two teaspoons of water at 100 degrees. It reminds me of, now not everybody here is a trekker listening to me, but it's like Picard going tea, Earl Grey, hot, and the thing dispenses in front of you. Is that like... I was at a conference in Las Vegas two years ago and I spent a good 45 minutes at a stand with a smart toilet where people were saying, Alexa, flush the toilet. (laughs) So, like, if you think turning on the tap is mad, wait until we get to the toilets. But yes, absolutely, that is going to be... uh, the norm in terms of interacting with devices around your home. The question about will it be uniform and this is a big headache that I have every single day of the week because you know when it comes to smartphones we know that we've got Apple and we've got Android. Yeah. You're in one camp or you're in the other. In smart assistants we've got Alexa and we've got Google and up until recently it was very much locked in so certain devices worked with Alexa and certain things worked with Google. But in general, I do think voice control tech will become the norm. Okay. Um, you know, gesture technology is going to be the other thing as well that could work. Oh gosh, what's that now? Well, so you could, I did a thing with Newstalk Breakfast where you can smile to pay with MasterCard in Brazil now. So there could be things where, you know, you smile to open the fridge or you wave to turn on a tap. So th- how we interact with stuff in our home. We have to I, be careful now about some of those gestures if you're frustrated about not well, <laughs> I, the right ingredients or being able to open your fridge. I'm still afraid about the voice control technology because I'm a swearer so if you end up saying something that sounds like something suddenly you're calling your mother and you might have your dishwasher given out to you then if you use bad language (laughs) could that potentially be it something to look forward to now when we were talking there about the different gadgets and the different companies that employ them uh, I saw during the week that there is finally finally um, laws being brought in over the cables um, yeah the universal chargers the universal why was that not done up to? Isn't that the most fundamental thing that would just stop annoying people and also save on all of the the plastics that are going into this stuff? Tell us what's going to happen. 
well, money was the reason why it didn't mm-hmm. happen. And it's still a pain in the face um, because Apple... So basically, what they've said, the EU has been pushing this for a while. So by the uh, autumn of 2024, every small and medium tech device will have to have a universal charger. So it'll be the USB-C cable. So if you have an Android phone at the moment, okay, that's it's the, the one. charger. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so anything, whether it is a phone, if it's a charger, if it's a camera, if it's your headphones, whatever it is, it'll all have to use the one charger. Um, And the idea is that it'll just cut down on waste and make it easier for the consumer. Apple have been the outliers with this. They've been using their lightning port. They're still not overly happy with it. Yeah, because they have the little fiddly white ones. Yeah, they're still not overly happy with it. Um, But they have to do it now. So by August 2024. And I suspect, uh, and folks, you can tell me if this is the case with you, in my kitchen, that is going to free up an entire drawer which is taken up with the different cables and ports and plugs for everything from the Kindle to the Alexa to the phones and all of the bits and pieces that go with that. 100% but you know the funny thing is that by 2024 I don't think we'll be using port chargers I think we'll be using wireless charging. Oh here you go <laughs> just when they bring so, in the law we're not going to I actually think them. it's a bit defunct but right. sure look and sure listen at least they tried. <laughs> right well with all of that it is certainly an exciting future ahead I, I don't think it'll make me a better cook uh, but maybe a more efficient one and stop me burning things. Jess Kelly, News Talks tech correspondent. Thank you so much. And of course, Jess is on Tech Talk every week and her podcast is absolutely fantastic and you should listen into that. And thanks a million for coming in to us today on The Home Show. Thank you so much. Now, still to come as we come into the summer, it's the perfect time to bring some fresh flowers into your home. But how do you make them really stand out? Well, stay with us. The Irish Times gardening correspondent, Fanula Fallon, will be joining me on uh, giving us advice on how to do that. Welcome back to The Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan and remember if you'd like to get involved in the show today or give us a call it's 53106 for 30 cent or email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com Now before the break I was chatting with Jess Kelly um, on all of the high tech stuff that is coming uh, into our kitchens some of it already here a bit bamboozling uh, but certainly very very interesting if you want to listen back to that of course it's up on the News Talk at Parabola Go Loud just search for The Home Show and you should find it there. Now, low tech is the order of the day for this segment. Fresh flowers are a gorgeous way to liven up your space. But what are some of the more creative ways to display them? Well, Fanula Fallon, horticulturalist and gardening correspondent for the Irish Times, joins me now to chat through this. Uh, Fanula, you're very welcome along to the Home Show. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for for asking me to talk about flowers. I always love to talk about flowers. Well, I love looking at flowers and having flowers and smelling flowers, but I'm not terribly creative. So I just tend to pick out one of my trusty vases and pour in a little feed and some water and and plunk them in and do my best to kind of display them in some kind of framing, framing way. But uh, I'd love some inspo now on this and different ways to do it. So let us start with table flowers because I love a floral centrepiece without yeah. getting kind of too weddingy about it. Yeah, so the, the big trend, actually we do a lot of wedding flowers and the, the, the real way it's going, it's, it's very inspired by nature, by garden. There's a real kind of move away from very stiff conventional flowers or much more kind of natural garden-led style. So we do a lot of little little vases along a table, which is a really pretty effect. It's also great because you can move them around with the other items on the table. So things like, you know, vases, like um, bottles or glasses, where anything like that, you can adjust them around it. And you're looking for really small, little individual, little kind of what we call bud vases. And what you're doing here is really letting the kind of beauty of the individual flowers just sing out. So you're not going for a big, huge statement piece, 
but more this very kind of natural, almost like a little meadow running along the middle of your table. And it's really pretty and it's really, really popular with them. All our brides actually are really going for that at the moment. And it just such a useful, adjustable way to, to use flowers at the table. And also because you're not having big high vases and, you know, um, exactly. arrangements yeah. in the middle of the table where you're looking around, you're looking up, you're trying to see somebody on the other stoppers. side. Yeah, because yeah. okay. you want to make eye contact with that person across the table from you. And the beauty of these is also that you're really adding lots of little wild forage material to them. And that's really, again, where um, flower arranging is going. It's about really going out there, picking some little wild grass, these seed heads, or even some little weeds anything like that, a little sprig of clematis, anything small and dainty, but sculptural. Mm. And they really bring a flower alive. So if you're buying flowers, say, from a supermarket or from your local florist, if you add some little forage ingredients into it, it'll make a huge difference to just the, the look of it. And of course, it's a lot cheaper to do it that way. Now, in terms of the little uh, kind of vases, little bud vases you're talking about, mm-hmm. where would you source those? Are you looking, you could do everything from, what, jam jars to kilner jars to... yeah. We'd even go smaller than that. So we actually, great places like here, they do these really pretty, very affordable little bud vases, really small. You just All you need to do is, is something with enough of a little narrow stem to fit, you know, three or four stems into it. And uh, But you'll also get them in secondhand shops. And that's also much more kind of, it's a fun way to do it. It's also much more kind of eclectic. You're looking for something that's not too matchy-matchy. It wants to be kind of, feel very much natural and kind of almost like you've kind of found it in a, an old kind of cupboard somewhere and mix it around. But IKEA is a great place to start. Okay, okay, good start. All right. Um, now, for a kind of a larger, um, maybe display uh, mm-hmm. flower arrangement, statement piece, yeah, a statement piece maybe on a sideboard or yeah. you know on on I a mantelpiece or something like that. T- talk to me about how we can do that a little bit at home, yeah. a little bit better. So again, in florist, there's a really huge, big push away from using floral foam. So floral foam, for people who don't know, it is that kind of conventional green, kind of spongy material. That's that the oasis that you exactly, fill yeah. with water, right? Okay. Environmentally horrible and doesn't break down for centuries and a huge push against that. So a lot of modern florists have just stopped using that. So we'll say we're going back to what our grannies used. So things like I'm um, using like scrunched up chicken wire in a bowl. Okay. Um, <laughs> really fantastic way to hold the stems in place. You can also use things like florist frogs, which sounds very funny, but it's like this little kind of metal um, circular thing with loads of pins coming out of it. And you put that at the bottom of the bowl and you can stick your stems into that. So again, when it comes to making these kind of big statement pieces, lots of storage material, use lots of greenery from around the garden or from a friend's garden or you know, a little bit in the wild as long as you, you pick respectfully. We would use a lot of kind of just trailing material like climbers and shrubby material. And you start off with that. Um, you, have your, you don't have to use a conventional vase again. I mean, it's lovely to use just a kind of circular bowl, make it deep enough that the stems will be held in water. And you just scrunch the chicken wire in, um, arrange your, your, your foliage around it. Go for a very kind of, again, what's very in is this very asymmetric, kind of wildy look, kind of wispy. You're, you're letting little bits of, of plant material kind of float upwards and downwards and flop over the side of the bowl. And then you're going to put your flowers in. And again, really break all the rules. There's a great um, English uh, flower, floral designer called Constance Bry, who's really influenced a lot of florists to this day. And she was somebody who always said, no, look outside the boundaries of, of the flower garden. So she would go and use things like, um, from the vegetable garden, for example, she was famous for making this arrangement of kale leaves, which oh, is this edible kind of vegetable. Right. Yeah. And she just arranged it beautifully and, and really kind of said, look, there's beauty all around us. It's everywhere. It's in the hedgerows, it's in the vegetable gardens. It's not just in the in the flower garden. So it's really about keeping your eyes open and using material in fun ways. 
Now, dried flowers are always popular. They last longer. Um, they can look really, really pretty. And, yeah. uh, you know, people maybe kind of are a little bit unsure about how to display them and how to dress them. And particularly what uh, plants work best as, as dried. Yeah. Um, so give us a few tips on that, Fanula. Well, dried flowers, again, there's a really big movement towards dried flowers. And again, that's being really pushed at, you know, from the heart by the environmental kind of concerns about the cut flower world. So a lot of brides and a lot of people are looking for dried flower materials because it's sustainable. You can use it. You don't have to bring in fresh stuff. And it's such a great, fun thing to do at home yourself anyway. And there's a lot of really good um, books that come out about you know, how to use dried flowers recently and a lot of great Instagram feeds out there as well. So lots of good stuff on the net. But... um Really, the, the ba- basic thing is to not to go for the really big, hefty, solid flowers. Like things like roses or peonies are tricky to dry. So the mm. bigger and you know more bouncy the flower is, the harder it is to dry. So lots, I would say experiment. I, I experiment with a lot of dried flowers at home. And what I do is I just pick them. You have to pick them when they're dry. That's really important. So pick them not after rainfall or not first thing in the morning when they're covered in dew. Go for the smaller, finer little flowers. At the moment, there's... there's some wonderful ones you can grow in the garden, like there's one called Helichrysum or the straw flower, which is very long lasting and dries really well. There's lots of garden flowers that will dry very well. Things like, um, you know, astilbees and lanarias and lots of wild grasses look fantastic and wild seed heads look fantastic dried. I've seen some unusual displays recently where instead of putting dried flowers in, as you say, oases or in, in pots, they're actually yeah. hanging um, from, very from the yeah. sea. Is it? How, how how do you do that without it looking like you've forgotten it's up there? <laughs> well, it's called, they're called flower clouds and they're very fashionable, yeah. And um, really what a lot of the, the, what we would do is you make a kind of, um, you can make a, a, a kind of the form using, again, chicken wire. So okay. you mould your chicken wire into whatever shape you want to, like a kind of an S shape or a curl or a wave. And then you just fix your, um, your dry material onto it and suspend it from the ceiling. And it can be really long-lasting, just like you're talking about maybe years. One thing I would actually say about dry flowers, actually, there is a point where I think enough's enough, you know, when they've been there for a couple of years, get rid of them, because then there's that thing where they can become a bit like those old Dusty. Yeah, exactly. Miss Haversham, <laughs> as if she's yeah, exactly. left them on the ceiling yeah. and forgotten about them. All right, exactly, okay. Yeah. Now, uh, a fantastic couple of Instagram feeds. It's Bex Partridge. Yeah. Um, in, in, um, she's over there in, in, in the UK. She's a lovely kind of... Um, um, there's, there's Worm, which is this design studio in London who do lots of dried flower arrangements. There's also a great um, writer called Carolyn Dunster who just brought a book called Cut and Dry, The Modern Guide to Dried Flowers from, from Growing to Selling. So there's lots of stuff out there and Instagram is, is a fantastic resource. Oh, it is you indeed. You can use them in wreaths as well, which is beautiful. Yeah, and and, and certainly in terms of, of both the inspiration and the envy, um, Instagram is probably where, where you should go for that. And finally, Fanula, um, now we're big into that uh, the old house plants on the home show yeah. here. And I, I've uh, got some monsteras and cheese plants and all that kind of I thing around my house. Good, yeah. um, but I, I love them at different levels. So not yeah. kind of necessarily on the floor, but in these pots Absolutely. that come with on legs, if you like. Um, they're very, very good, actually, for the air and for keeping the dust down. They are. There's, there's plenty of good, hard science out there to prove that um, houseplants are really beneficial for us in many ways. They purify the air, they improve our sleep, they improve our general kind of quality of life in, in terms of living indoors. And they're also just, I think there's just that connection to nature. And, and for people who don't have a garden, there are this, they just provide this wonderful way to, to grow indoors. And, and also, if you're in a small space, 
the fantastic thing about house plants is you can suspend them from the ceiling. You can hang them in, you know, in little baskets. You can put them on shelves, up on the walls. You can arrange them along a, a kind of ornamental ladder. You, know, you can really use mm. vertical space in creative ways. And, and they've been one of the huge, huge things of, 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 of modern gardening for younger generation who are, who are space starved. Um, and yeah, they're just a wonderful way to, to, to bring the nature indoors and really enjoy it. Indeed, especially with everybody working from home, I think every office should have a house plant. Oh, and, at least one, yeah. <laughs> you know, to go and liven things <laughs> up. Now, James Wong, of course, would be the champion here, Botany Geek on, on Instagram. Yeah. I love his feed and uh, yeah. just so, the passion that he has with everything that Absolutely. he does and, and keeps it yeah. very, very simple, actually. Yeah, I mean, James Wong, he would be, I think, that is, he had 500 or 5,000 houseplants. He would be an absolute houseplant obsessive and yeah. really inventive in the way that he uses um, the material and, and shares it generously on Instagram. And um, there's, there's lots of, you know, really, I mean, Instagram is filled with beautiful feeds of people using houseplants. Mm. But the good thing about Wong is that he, he it's backed by good hard science. Science, indeed, yeah. indeed. All right. Well, Fanula Fallon, horticulturalist and gardening correspondent for the Irish Times. Uh, thank you very much for some really, really interesting ideas there about oh, to to properly thank displaying you. flowers and plants in the home. <laughs> uh, lovely to talk to you too. Now, if you could pick your favourite building in Ireland, what would it be? Well, I mean, goodness knows there's enough choice uh, in the country at the moment. Well, the Royal Institute of Architects in Ireland has just launched its 2022 Public Choice Award. And this is always very, very popular, uh, asking people to choose from 31 projects ranging from college libraries to social housing schemes. And to tell me more about it, I'm delighted to be joined in studio by Catherine Megan, CEO of the Royal Institute of Architects in Ireland. Catherine, you're very welcome. Thank you very much, and I'm delighted now, to be here. there's a huge range of projects here. It must be very difficult to whittle down because it's not just public buildings, it's public structures, really. What puts a building or a structure on the shortlist for something like this? It's a huge challenge. I mean, this is the 33rd year of our annual awards and uh, this year we had 125 entries across a huge range of categories, huge scale of buildings. And it is an incredible ask of the jury to go and to analyse the buildings, to look at the context of the buildings, to look at what the purpose of the buildings is and to see what the final result. And they're experts. They, uh, the, the jury, we put them the jury together. They're, they're a very broad jury. And so they're, they're looking at how the building sits in, it, in its context, how it is finished, the quality of the, the, the actual finishes, but also looking at what's it deliver to the wider uh, community that the building is sitting in. And I think that's what's becoming increasingly important, mm, mm. that obviously it has to function. It has to function for the clients, but also it has to add something to the wider area that it's sitting in. Yeah, and maybe one of those criteria must be that in future people will be delighted it was built. You know, maybe maybe kind of an aesthetic thing that it becomes maybe a talking point or or in, hopefully, I presume, a, a kind of a visiting point of itself? Uh, some of the buildings will become visiting, but some of them are ordinary buildings that just will add to the vibrancy of an area. I mean, architects don't always look to deliver buildings that have that kind of star um, tourist attraction. Okay. Sometimes that is the purpose of a building, but most buildings are uh, designed and, and delivered for... To, to answer a functional need. 
Right. Well, give us an example of some of the structures that have made the shortlist uh, that people would be familiar with. Well, as you say, there's a huge range. There's 13 different categories. Uh, so we have buildings, for, We've, ed- as you say, we've education buildings, we've offices. There's some really interesting buildings in the adaptation and reuse, which I think is becoming increasingly important mm, for people, mm. that we look to the the the. Uh, older buildings that we have and see how we can try and transform them into something it's new. such a zeitgeist at the moment, isn't it? That reusing buildings. And we have architects on the show all of the time. And the first thing, public or private, they will say, if we can reuse old spaces and old buildings, that is by far, it's environmentally friendly, it's cost effective. And that's what people want to see. It is the most sustainable thing you could do is to work with the, an older building. And in particular in our towns and villages, because we need to be creating vibrancy within them. We need to be addressing the vacancy in them. Mm. So that's increasingly important. Mm. But I think there's some fabulous buildings on the shortlist. OK, give us an example of what's there. So th- in, in terms of the adaptation and reuse, there's a, there's a 200-year-old farmhouse in, um, by Steve Larkin in County Carlow that has been brought back into life. There's a beautiful uh, small cottage, uh, uh, I think it was a two, again a 200 year old cottage in County Donegal by Pasparacus and Friel. Uh, the kind of ruin that we all see everywhere around uh, rural Ireland and this project really demonstrates how those small ruins can be brought back mm. into something extraordinary mm. something with huge history something that probably has a lot of emotion in it but delivers for all of the uh, modern needs that we have. Um, there is new houses uh, um, that have been designed to pay, pay respect to the, the, I suppose, vernacular architecture that is in the areas that they're being built. Um, so there's a beautiful house uh, um, which is looking at, th- based on three courtyards. Um, so it's in rural Ireland. It uh, obviously is exposed to a lot of weather. So the way it has been designed, it looks like a, a series of little farm buildings but it's actually one home. Mm. And uh, again, it's just that really considered design about where it's sitting, how the people might live in it and what the kind of modern spaces that they need. Now, in terms of the more public spaces that people could could go and visit and, and be in, uh, I have to say I love what has been done in Cove in the public square there. It's a bit like, you know, when you go on holiday, I know we can't bang on about, oh, Europeans do this a lot better, but there are piazzas and plazas in, you know, in Madrid and Barcelona in parts of France. And you have these public squares, you have old fellas sitting there having their cigarette on the bench, you have kids skateboarding, you have couples wandering around, kids running up and down. That's what's been created here. The work that's been done by Cork County Council um is just such of such a high standard. I mean, the basic fact is places are for people and we need to put people first. We had a tradition in, in, in rural Ireland, um, in all our towns, actually not just in rural, across our towns and cities, of putting cars first. And that uh, uh, trend has mm. been reversed. I mm. think it's so important. It's important that we look at how people can be brought back into the towns. And if there are nice places for them to gather, they will be more inclined to look at living in the towns. And also, it, do you think that it creates a sense that people then police the space inherently by just being there? So so it be, because of its use, it's less likely to be subject to vandalism or, or kind of... Absolutely. There needs to be a range of uses yeah. so that it attracts a range of ages and uh, um, 
it attracts people across the entire day, across the weekend. And I think that's what they're very successfully doing down in Cork. Now, in, in addition, then we have beautiful buildings like libraries. So there's a library in DCU in All Hallows. That's been now that that can't be new. No, that's one of the renovation ah, projects. Okay. So there have been I mean, the, the uh, DCU campus has both new and old. Mm, mm. And I think this is a wonderful example of renovating and conserving the existing. Right. Now, where can people, uh, Catherine, go and have a look at these uh, if they can't get there in real life, perhaps they'll get there online. The great thing about this is there's a full gallery of all 31 uh, projects on riai.ie and uh, we're really hoping that as many of your listeners as possible will click on today and vote and tell us which ones they like. How many do you get voting every every year it you do this? It ranges 12 to 20,000. Wow. We're hoping for okay. more than that this and, year. And you don't need to be an architect to vote. You don't need all Absolutely the stuff. This not. is just what gets you. The architects, uh, they, they select the shortlist, okay. but this is the chance for the public to tell us what they like. So we're always really excited. I to was see interested to see that there's a couple of these buildings aren't even in Ireland. How, how did that come about? Well, Irish architects um, are working all around the globe. Um, there are some, uh, like the project in London is done by Grafton Architects, one of the most oh, recognised well, done everything, haven't they, uh, practices in the world. Uh, we're, we're so privileged to have them as an Irish practice. And they've done a, the uh, Kingston University. But there's also a young architect uh, working in Chicago who has delivered uh, a park as a collaboration with a group of other young architects. Uh, mainly the, the, the other her collaborators are from Denmark. And that's a, a really interesting project that looks at using a derelict space as um, a new community facility. Mm. Mm. So we have... Architects. Massive range of stuff, yeah. isn't there? All right. OK. Now, so people can go on the RIAI website. You have until the 21st of June to vote. To vote. And then the results will be announced a couple of days later. On isn't that right? On the 23rd. Catherine Megan, CEO of the Royal Institute of the Architects of Ireland. Thank you for joining us today on Thank the whole show. Now, coming up after the break, what kind of materials should you consider when designing or redesigning your staircase? Join me back here in a few moments. And you're very welcome back to the Home Show here on News Talk. I'm Sinead Ryan. Uh, but I have Denise O'Connor from Optimise Design with me in. Uh, you're very welcome uh, back to the Home Show, Denise. Thanks, Sinead. And we are going to be talking all things staircases. Now, this is an interesting one. I think we have been on air over three years and I don't think we have ever done a segment on stairs. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, but not that unsurprising, actually, because it's funny, you know, when people are refurbishing their home, Stairs isn't really something they hone in on or think about often because the stairs tends to stay in the same location. So people are thinking about their kitchen, they're thinking about their bathrooms, their flooring. But you have to get between them. You know, you do. Exactly. And, you know, it is a very prominent, very important feature in the house, but one that is often overlooked. Yeah. Very hard working part of the house. For some houses, of course, um, not anybody in the bungalow will have to worry about that. Uh, But when it comes to two stairs and designing or redesigning stairs. Mm -hmm. What kind of things do people ask you about or do you bring up with them? Yeah, I think when it comes to stairs, um, you know, first of all, like let's say you're dealing with an attic conversion, for example, where you need to create a new staircase. And one thing we would always say to people is to try and, if at all possible, 
make the new staircase like a continuation of the existing stairs. And that way it's going to flow much Rather nicer. than a kind of a pull down Rather ladder. Rather than, than a pull down. Yeah, but you see, uh, like in doing that, do you not lose a chunk of maybe your spare room or something? Often it will eat into the box room. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it, it is just a toss up, you know, everybody's home situation is different. So in some cases, people are happy to lose that room because they're not really very functional. You know, they don't And they're work. getting an attic maybe. And they're getting yeah. an attic. So often they're very happy to lose the box room and then get a larger bedroom up in mm. the attic space. Mm. Um, like things I've seen that I, I believe don't work very successfully are where people open what was the hot press door and there's a little stairs up to the attic. Those <laughs> okay. kind of things should be avoided at all costs. Um, and right. the other thing that people the secret stairs the secret stairs why should they be avoided I just think they just feel like an afterthought they feel like nobody okay. planned them properly they're they're sort of odd and often they don't work very well so if you have to carry big things up mm. you're never going to get a bed or it's not much of a fire escape either no exactly exactly okay. alright so you have to think about incorporating the stairs into any new bit of the house yeah. that you're renovating yeah. now what if you want to relocate the stairs and I, I know that there's a lot of kind of older houses where the stairs might have been in the very middle of the room mm-hmm. uh, and it was just a qu- quick way of a- access whereas now we kind of tend to design more open plan and in the round you don't know, be yeah. banging into the staircase all the time. Yeah. How difficult a job is that because of the structure? Yeah so that is a structural job so you will need to speak to a structural engineer and this is something we get asked all the time oh can you as an architect not do that but our discipline is the design the structural engineers are there to look at the structure the kind of beams that are going to mm. need to be required and these are really important things because if you get these wrong your house is <laughs> It's You'll have no stairs you have through the ceiling. Yeah, okay. so really important to, to get advice. And is it a big that. job to relocate a set of stairs? It is. That okay. is going to be expensive. So okay. really the rule of thumb is anything that involves a lot of structural intervention is going to be costly. And, and that's why when people, especially now, say with costs rising all the time, if people are looking at their scheme and looking for ways to try and save money, the best thing to do is keep things in their current location, like the stairs, like plumbing, because moving all these things. Yeah, and and kind of revamp around, around them. That. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so when it comes to then the types of materials, first I think probably in ninety nine percent of houses it's wood. Yes. Maybe with carpet on it. Yeah. Any more innovative solutions? I've seen, I've been in a house which had glass stairs. I have to tell you, it freaked me out. Isn't that (laughs) weird? Yeah, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. I mean, glass is fabulous. And in certain situations, you know, it's a wonderful way to let light through a house if, you know, perhaps the space underneath is quite dark. I think it's quite a commercial, um, you know, aesthetic. So not really, wouldn't be my preference for a home. Yeah. Like we would have done a lot of timber staircases, which are very popular. And timber is such a beautiful tactile material that can work really, really well. Um, you just have to be mindful of the durability with timber. So you don't want to go for a soft wood. You want to go for something that's quite hard wearing because your mm. stairs are going to get a lot of traffic. Mm. Um, often with stairs as well, you know, it comes down to budgets. So doing things like that are going to be expensive and people are happier to invest in getting the structure right or the layout right or the kitchen or something like that. Mm. So they will compromise on the stairs. So sometimes, you know, going for a nice runner with maybe a fun border either side just to create a bit of impact that way is a really cost effective way to to make a stairs And then paint it. And painted, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and when it comes then to banisters, mm-hmm. so 
there is a kind of polarised thing about do you get a banister? Do you get one kind of with a solid banister or one with the, the poles in it going yeah, all the way yeah. up or a solid glass one or whatever? Yeah. What, what do you see as a tr- as trends now for that kind of thing? What's very trendy at the moment are steel, uh, metal banisters. Oh, right. Is yeah. that not a bit office looking? It can look really, really nice, you know, because you get that lovely slim profile. So that can be really attractive. It does have to tie in with the rest of the house. So say in a situation where the likes of critical glazing has become really, really popular, that'll link in very nicely with that or slim aluminium windows. Again, that's costly. So the Mm. most cost effective solution is going to be going for the traditional style timber banisters. But the beauty of those is you know, the world is your oyster when it comes to styles and designs. You don't have to go for the very traditional look. You can go for something very slim and contemporary and then paint it all black if you want to get that metal look. So really, that is a cost effective option. Uh, Denise O'Connor of Optimised Design, thank you very much for joining us again on The Home Show with all that calm advice. I always feel better after speaking to Denise. Calm advice. (laughs) Now, and that is all we have time for uh, today on The Home Show. If you'd like to get involved in the show or have any questions for us or a guest or a topic you'd like us to cover, please do let us know. We are listener-led and we'd love to hear from you. That's 53106 on text or thehomeshow at newstalk.com on email. You can find me over on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Don't forget to check out the podcast on the Newstalk website. And thanks to Marisa Sullivan for producing today with Stephen McLoon on sound. Anton Savage is up next. Have a wonderful weekend. And remember, we're back here on Saturday at eight o'clock.